Hello and welcome. My name is Joe Frost and here with my co-host Peter Linus, this is Being Human. It is a real pleasure to have on the show today, Justin Brierley. I first encountered Justin on an unbelievable podcast. That's something you did for many years. Uh, you have a new book out, The Surprising Rebirth of Belief in God, and you're involved in a number of projects. We'll hear more about those, the, the re-enchanting podcast, Seen and Unseen. Um, Justin, it's a real privilege to have you here. Thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you to, to you and Joe for, for having me on, Pete. Look, we often ask our guests at the start to tell a story or two that would really help somebody to kind of get to know you and catch them up to speed. So can you tell us, yeah, something from your own life that would really help people if they haven't met you before? Well, probably the thing to know about me is that I've spent most of my adult working life working in Christian apologetics, which is just a fancy name for sort of defending the Christian faith through intellectual arguments and that kind of thing. Uh, and really that, that, really started through a, a radio show which became a podcast which became a video show which became a conference and so on called unbelievable um and and that was a, a fascinating you know time which i only recently moved on from but 17 plus years of hosting conversations between christians and non-christians putting myself in the middle of these really interesting debates and dialogues and learning a heck of a lot along the way i was very you know wet behind the ears when I started, but I had a kind of theology and apologetics education by proxy by hosting all these conversations over that many years. And uh, yeah, so so that's that's what I owe it to really. And a lot of listeners who came on that journey as well, which is which has been really fun. So you've written this book, The Surprising Rebirth, um, A Belief in God. And that's one of the things we'd love to explore. Um, I guess your premise is there is more openness to this, but we're hearing that we're living in a secular culture it's tough to be a Christian and yet you're seeing glimpses of hope. Uh, and, and I think one of the analogies you use is a poem around the sea of faith, the tides are moving in and out and you're seeing a shifting in the tide. So you want to tell us maybe a little bit about what gave rise to this book and, and maybe that kind of core idea. And then we'll maybe unpack some things behind that. Yeah. Well, the, the, the subtitle of this book, the surprising rebirth of belief in God is, why new atheism grew old and secular thinkers are considering Christianity again. And I really noticed in the course of the years of hosting The Unbelievable Show, it began sort of in the heyday of the new atheism, which was this very sort of militant, dogmatic form of anti-theism represented by, you know, Christopher Hitchens, Sam Harris, uh, Richard Dawkins and co. Um, and that that was kind of reflected in a lot of the debates we hosted on The Unbelievable Show, you know, big sort of atheist you know debates versus christian thinkers i did notice though in the last several years that the tone of the debates shifted quite quite significantly and it was less that kind of big bombastic debate thing and there were just more nuanced discussions and often the non-christians weren't sort of these militant atheists but were were secular people but often who had a sort of respect for Christianity. They recognized the value, the cultural heritage and so on that Christianity has gifted the West. And as, as I started to sort of see that shift, I saw the audience kind of shifting as well away from those new atheist speakers increasingly towards these other types of secular intellectuals reconsidering Christianity. And you mentioned sort of um, the changing tides. That That metaphor really was introduced to me by Douglas Murray, who's arguably one of these sorts of interesting secular thinkers who have a kind of almost wistful regard for Christianity. He calls himself a Christian atheist because um, even though he's, you know, 
sort of not not a believer obviously well known as a sort of cultural sort of commentator associate editor of the spectator and so on he he still nevertheless doesn't see atheism as a way of actually having a meaningful life um he he sees that christianity is really what shaped his own morality and the moral instincts of the west and everything else so so he i had a conversation with him a couple of years ago on a show he was in conversation with nt wright the um new testament historian and um douglas murray happened to mention that he'd he'd noticed a few of his you know intellectual peers and friends converting to christianity and he referenced that well-worn line from Matthew Arnold's poem Dover Beach about the melancholy, long withdrawing roar of the sea of faith. And he said, the thing about the sea of faith is it could come back in again. After all, that's mm. the point of tides. And and I just was struck by by that comment. And it sort of formed the basis for this book, which is that maybe we are coming to the end of a long period of secularization. And maybe the new atheism sort of represented the sort of the pinnacle of that, if you are, if you like. But actually, um, I just wondered if we're starting to see signs that the the steam is running out on that sort of secular materialist story of reality and that people are just starting to be ready to hear the Christian story again after a long time in which that's been in the back mirror. So so that's sort of where the 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 sort of title of the book, the the imagery on the front, which is of a sort of wave breaking in. And so on came from is is that I've been seeing the conversations change and and maybe we are seeing this turning of the tide. What do you think has caused that? Where do you see that shift coming from? What's instigated that change of of tides, as it were? Do you think? I part part of me wonders whether it's just the fact that we live in a culture where you do get cycles and tides and no one thing tends to predominate forever um empires rise and fall you know and um worldviews kind of tend to shift over time as well i think though especially in the last sort of 20 years you know new atheism as i say burst onto the scene in the mid 2000s and was this very sort of definite sort of counterpoint to christian faith and religion generally but I think it people kind of almost came to see that in itself it was quasi-religious in the end. It had this very dogmatic sort of fundamentalist sort of strain to it. And and people kind of got a bit tired, I think, of it actually in the public. And they just felt, well, this isn't really actually helping the conversation. And it's um it, it started to to just be a bit of become a bit of a caricature of itself in the end. And I just think there was an appetite in the end, as people were still ultimately trying to find you know, uh, meaningful answers to those big questions of purpose, meaning, value, identity. I just think there's it, it's generated because of that a kind of a return to people kind of wondering, well, maybe maybe we threw out the baby with the bathwater a bit with the new atheism. Maybe there is something in this old story that is still relevant for us today. And and the fact that I've seen increasingly a number of secular intellectuals kind of reinvestigating and reevaluating that story suggests to me that we might just be in that moment where people having rejected it for so long are just about ready to maybe hear it again in our culture something like that it seems to me i think you're you narrate this that new atheism almost overplayed its hand that it, it kind of claimed too much dawkins in particular and I, i've heard you talking i think it was with glenn scrivener about this that you almost were prepared to give away Dawkins book to people to say, yeah, read it. I don't, I think it, you'll read it and, and it comes up short. And then it began to eat itself. It fell apart on the same, 
the kind of Me Too and some of the issues around sexuality and race and the questions were raised and, and atheism began to split on those issues. Um, and I'm just, yeah. you know, I think that's what you, your argument really is they, they ended up with an atheism plus, as I've understood it, that they, they couldn't answer the fundamental questions either and it was found wanting fundamentally. I, I think in the end, what what did in the new atheism, apart from the external pressures of whether it ultimately answered people's questions, was was just internally it, it struggled to hold itself together because it was a movement essentially predicated on what people were against, which was, you know, there is no God and religion is bad for you. But once the leaders of the movement and its adherents had sort of agreed on that, they literally couldn't agree on anything else because it did very quickly then devolve into, well, what are we for? And some, as you say, wanted to go in the direction of this so-called atheism plus, which was atheism plus a commitment to feminism, social justice, um, uh, LGBT equality and everything else. And others who felt like this was a complete like, you know, wrong turn for their movement because this was all politically correct ideologies in their view, kind of getting in the way of just free thought and reason and so on. Um, I mean, one of the big kind of crunch moments, I think, I think the Me Too kind of moment happened early on for new atheism there was this famous incident called elevator gate in 2011 where a skeptical vlogger called rebecca watson um who vlogs as skeptic was at an atheist conference in dublin talking on the problems of sexism and patriarchy misogyny in the atheist movement and then that evening got propositioned essentially in an elevator as she went back to her room and then sort of put put out a vlog saying this is the problem folks and what happened after that was that Richard Dawkins sort of weighed in with a highly sarcastic kind of blog post to title Dear Muslima, kind of parodying Rebecca Watson's concerns and comparing it to, you know, the real, as he as as he saw it, concerns that that, that were there for women in other parts of the world. Um, and this just ignited the whole thing. There were people who were on Rebecca Watson's side. Another half were on Richard Dawkins' side. And from then on, basically, the movement just started to increasingly splinter and lots of controversies to the point where these atheist leaders no longer, a lot of them were able to share a stage any longer because they just couldn't agree with each other. And, and the whole movement in that sense started to unravel from that point. So, I mean, I think in hindsight, you could just say the culture wars were ultimately what ate new atheism because all of the the leaders of that movement they're no longer debating or talking about religion anymore really um you'd be hard pressed to find any of them you know writing articles or books any longer on religion they've all moved onto both sides of the culture wars and that's that's it so the new atheist movement in that sense no longer exists uh, in the way it once did that's 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 fascinating actually do you which do you think is the cause and which do you think is the effect? Do you almost think that the culture wars and um, the progressive versus the kind of conservative side of political debate, whether that's on social justice, race, LGBT rights, migration, any of these sort of spaces and conversations that will hit the news uh, headlines at any week that you think about do you think that's come out of that space or do you think new atheism got sucked in i th i think genuinely it is a bit of both which i know is a bit of a rubbish answer but i think i think in a funny way and even a lot of the new atheist sort of leaders now or you know ex new atheist leaders are recognizing this is that new atheism by kind of doing almost the final job of trying to tear down the god story for a lot of people it kind of um uh, it, it left the, the 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 field clear for lots of other stories to sweep in i mean it basically i think they proved that dictum of 
gk chesterton that once people stop believing in god they don't believe in nothing they have the capacity to believe in anything and i think what they realized was rather than once they'd sort of told everyone right time to stop believing in god you know um you make your meaning yourself and so on that didn't result in lots of people becoming rational scientific atheists it resulted in people kind of going off in all kinds of postmodern directions basically you know i will invent my own meaning and i'm going to reach for you know this philosophy and that ideology to kind of give myself that sense of purpose and meaning and identity and and a lot of them are now ruining that you know they're saying oh new well, i think we we took a real wrong turn with new atheism because now um a lot of these folks who are kind of more on the kind of quote unquote anti woke side of things they're saying well what we've got now is worse than the thing we had before because now these these kinds of quasi religious ideologies are literally on our doorstep in academia they're not at the fundamentalist church down the road any longer so i think new atheism sort of prepared the ground in an ironic way for it by taking away the god story it, it left this vacuum for other stories to come in at the same time i think they were also just yes subject to just the cultural tides themselves and and the the culture wars were you know well on their way and and inevitably it got subsumed by by what was going on more widely in culture as well One of the things we always like to do is try and make sure we're saying that these are the bus stop conversations. So when I hear the new atheist, one of the things that gets me interested is they, they ran a famous kind of bus campaign around this and, and got our attention. But but their thinking has permeated. It's not just that Richard Dawkins had a debate with or didn't have a debate with certain people and would avoid debates with the John Lennoxes and William Lane Craig. This isn't just the rarefied academic circles. The reality is they did have an impact right across the board because uh, I want to. I'm going to tease out with you. I, I want to suggest that certainly secularism and this idea that we have then disenchanted the world, that rational, reasonable, scientific ideas can explain everything. And I think as a culture, we accepted that. And even as a church, we tried to do everything on that rational way. So you talk a little bit about disenchantment. I put that phrase out there. Can you help us unpack a little bit more what? you mean by that or what when that phrase comes about this disenchanting mm. of the world that we've seen yeah so obviously this this is a phrase that popularized by people like max weber and and charles taylor and others um the idea really that since the the enlightenment onwards you know you've had this kind of disenchantment of the world we, we tend to see the world in this material purely kind of logical scientific way and and the problem i think that a lot of people are identifying now at least is that it, it's kind of part of a wider meaning crisis, this disenchantment, that because people are now seeing themselves as essentially um, just one more cog in a sort of deterministic materialist machine, it tends to strip us of agency. It tends to strip us of a sense of us having something you might call a soul or a, um, a, some kind of bigger purpose. We, we've, we don't see ourselves as part of a bigger story. I think, again, that's what the Christian story did for people whether they recognized it or not they were part of something bigger than themselves a, a, a bigger story that made sense of their own small story now i think you've got a lot of people and i think you guys talk about this quite a lot in your own book as well with lots of small stories if you like bouncing against each other somewhat chaotically often in, in our culture and and it's led to this this breakdown and especially this this sense of alienation you know um and a sense of well who am i what am i here for um and that in a sense is is all part of this disenchantment of our culture if you do 
strip everything back to the idea that you know in the end all of our deepest longings desires truth beauty love right and wrong it's all just really an illusion foisted upon us by a completely unguided process um it i think that does have an an effect you know i mean the average person at the bus stop may not think of it that way but i think there's a kind of trickle down effect where people do kind of ultimately see themselves as sort of in a story they have no control over and which mm -hmm. where ultimately there's no beginning middle or end there's no sort of narrative to this you're just you know you you, you just have to hope for the best and, and hold on um so i think i think that's kind of where we're living that's that's the disenchanted culture i think we're living in and the challenge of course is that um the christian story is about you know to coin a phrase re-enchanting the world mm -hmm. it's it's to show that actually you've been sold a false bill of goods that there is actually a bigger story and um it's the most exciting one you could ever be part of but we're fighting against a culture where the that other narrative is constantly being pushed on us from every direction i think so so how the church tells its story i think is is a critical part of that um the, the atheist bus campaign was just one small effect of that you know there's probably no god now stop worrying and enjoy your life was the the catchphrase from from that poster campaign but it it, it was a good sort of example of, of where the culture had gone you know because on the one hand i suppose that was supposed to make people feel better about themselves but on the other hand you know there's probably no god now stop worrying and enjoy your life i mean what an incredibly sort of western centric way of looking at life that's not going to be necessarily a huge comfort to a, a war widow in sudan or you know it's like it's such a kind of in the end shallow sentiment and it for me it kind of was symptomatic of the fact that atheism is a sadly you know in, in some ways a very western phenomenon in that sense mm. it's fascinating isn't it i remember there's been a two or three conversations with friends um often late at night pubs kicking out um vulnerability levels are higher um and there's these little confessional moments of a friend turning around and saying I really miss Jesus I mm. really miss God I miss what you have and I no longer have that realization that the just get on and enjoy your life offer offers very little mm. um and I that um I think it's Douglas Coupland isn't it um where he has this little confessional moment at the end of one of his books where he says, I miss God and I yeah. need him. Julian uh, Barnes says something very similar, something like, you know, there is no God and I miss him or something like that. But yeah, yeah. I know what you mean. And I just, I wonder whether or not that is what, because you've sat, you've sat and you've heard Christians and non-Christians have these conversations, have these debates, share their stories, go intellectual, go real life, go experience quote the books and the philosophers that they love but actually all of us have these opportunities and these encounters these moments of questioning or searching for meaning or hope or this is not the life that I thought I was going to get what do I do now where are the opportunities do you think for us in the day-to-day -day world to engage we probably wouldn't call it apologetics but actually just sharing that enchantment that actually mm. we do get to live in and we do get to live in a fuller story. How do we start to engage there, do you think? I think it can be difficult because in some ways, when the new atheism was the prevailing kind of, you know, thing in our culture, it was a, it was quite an easy conversation started because they were asking, you know, some very obvious questions and had some very obvious objections yeah. to God. I think as that movement has sort of passed on, if you like, 
the, the question is how how do we engage a culture which to some extent is still asking questions but but the the first question they're asking probably isn't does god exist it's it's probably something more like well how, what reason have i got to get out of bed in the morning or something like that and i think that's probably simply where you have to start is is where people are the fact that you know a lot of people are suffering mental health issues you know we're living in you know a time when especially among the younger generation we've got increase in anxiety depression sadly suicide rates um, among young men and so on and and i think um if we can if we can start there it's not a very happy place to start but that m- might be where people need to kind of start the conversation is is how do I, I i'm struggling with life basically and christians absolutely have to be there at that those moments um and putting themselves in the position where they can be having those honest conversations with people about the things that they're struggling with because ultimately i think that will come back to the question does god exist but you're going to probably have to find a different way of of reaching that that thing and it, because ultimately yes at the, at the root i think of the mental health crisis is this meaning crisis which has kind of been forced upon us by the fact that we we're rootless we don't have a story to kind of make sense of our life anymore so i think it's about sort of engaging at that level and then finding what the things are that people are passionate about um because i think in the end we still we're meaning making creatures we're story driven creatures and i want to find out if i'm speaking to someone at the bus stop what what the story is that they live for maybe it is their their family their kids maybe it's sport maybe it's music whatever there's something usually which still drives that person and something which might to some extent be filling the god-shaped void however insubstantially in their life um and i would want to sort of begin there and talk to them about what what does get them up in the morning what does seem to make what life worth living because i think that ultimately again will point back to the god question because for me um i think all of those kinds of things that we do find joy purpose meaning pleasure in they they are they're ultimately an echo of of the one who created those and i think there's a, there's a way in to talking about all of those issues that show that these things only ultimately make sense these things only ultimately kind of can have some kind of meaning and purpose if there's a kind of a source for these things if it's more than just as we said sort of just one more sort of ultimately pointless purposeless kind of endeavor in in what is a short span of life in you know a meaningless universe so I would I would start at those points where people actually sense that they have a something to get out of bed for in the morning. I think we probably have to acknowledge um, that we as Christians and often in the church have disenchanted to try and narrow the gap. We have articulated a very kind of intellectual version of the faith, sanctification by inter- by information transfer kind of idea, and. I think we've often kind of diminished the story and, and tried to make it as plausible as possible to those around, when actually in many ways what they do want is that there's something more. It's in the moment of crisis that they want somebody to pray. It's in the moment of kind of death and sickness that they say, well, please tell me there's something more. It's in the marriage or birth moment where they're saying, is, is there something more symbolic? It's in communion and liturgy and the supernatural and the charismatic. It's in those bits that are sometimes considered a little bit weird that actually draw people and say, well, yes, you're articulating something more than that. Those are small aspects of the re-enchantment. Like for me, mm. it's almost on social media, the the, the rainbow and, and saying it's creation, hashtag creation or whatever, saying I'm going to acknowledge that this isn't just a beautiful rainbow, it's a created rainbow. And that is maybe going to jar, maybe encourage, maybe whatever. I'm always trying to look for those small ways. I find like the act of communion, I love it. 
in church like it is a transcending meal it's a weird thing yeah. there's no menu yeah. there's no consumer yeah. choice but there's something radical happening and it's in a counterpoint the presence of jesus and the, sometimes we diminish that down in my experience to a symbol and try and minimize it and actually we're saying no there is something miraculous and marvelous and wonderful mm. and mm. that's the invitation into to the weird in a way but i think our culture is now ready for that because they've given up and said the other yeah. stuff's you flattened it so much it's not interesting where's the moment and they look for it in strange places it might be the occult it might be eastern mysticism but they're also if we say actually there's something that transcends cuts across something more yeah. than yeah um, i came across a phenomenon called witch talk the other day which is basically TikTok, but where people are basically trying kind of their own sort of versions of witchcraft and sort of charms hexes whatever to kind of you know get the universe on their side and so on. But I think that's just another great example of the way in which, you know, in, in our very technological scientific age, people are still ultimately resorting to kind of form forms of, you know, trying to, to kind of control the supernatural and so on. So I think it's like that, as I put it in the book, that the religious, that even as Christianity has faded into the background in Western culture, people aren't any less religious. They're, they're sometimes religious in specifically quasi-religious ways like that. Or it's the new ideologies and things that they essentially become quite religious around, and that that doesn't stop. But but to come back back to your point, Pete, I I think you're right that the there's a sense in which sometimes, and this has been you know a fault in my area of Christianity, apologetics has tended to take that very logical. Well, if I just give someone four reasons for the resurrection and three good you know philosophical arguments for God, that should be enough. It's clearly not enough for most people, actually. Um, and and I like the way that Blaise Pascal put it. He said, um, make religion attractive, make good men wish that it were true and then show them that it is. And I think that's our job is actually to show people why they would want this story to be true at all. And only once you've kind of given them that kind of imaginative invitation to Christianity, can you then do that kind of traditional apologetics bit of showing that it is true, giving them some good reasons why they can trust the Bible and why they, you know, and and so so I think sometimes we we just do that kind of rationalist enlightenment thing of let's just show you that it's true, and I think new atheism kind of steered us in that direction as well because we just had to kind of bring arguments and evidence against the new atheists. But actually, that's not the way most people are actually wired. There, we still need to get a sense of of why this story matters. Why we would you know it's why people go and watch Harry Potter movies and Marvel films and everything else. It's because they're actually still they want to be enchanted in that sense and we need to show them like c.s lewis did so brilliantly with something like narnia here's a world which you wish was true where you're occasionally going to tap the back of your wardrobe in hopes there might really be this enchanted kingdom of fawns and you know uh talking lions but what if there that did really exist in our world and and that was his genius and then he also showed through his traditional apologetics that there were good reasons to believe that was true of our world. So I think it's going to be that it's it's somehow re-enchanting the imagination with the Christian story of why you, this story, you know, you'd want it to be true. And then, you know, if and then you've got room maybe to do some of that sort of left brain apologetic stuff. I love that. I love that. Um, I mean, we talk a lot, uh, Peter and I, about story and the God story and being part of a bigger story and where story creatures are. We can bang on about it all the time. But also, I, I, I love that idea around imagination. But I also wonder, in my experience, it's often not only been the storytelling and the imaginative 
hope-filled narration that we offer, but also the inhabiting of those stories. Mm. So I remember when I first became a Christian, I went to church and I just, I, I still remember saying out loud to a complete stranger sat next to me going, you do this every week. And I just, <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I was like, oh my goodness, this, this is phenomenal. I felt completely in awe of the environment but then it was a big church it was loud it was mm-hmm. charismatic it was it was full and I just, it felt more like being in a concert but way better um <laughs> but then I've got other people who walk into a church and they are welcomed and they were given a cup of tea and it's small and it's intimate and they burst into tears and go you do this every week mm-hmm. because they are lonely and they want community and they want encounter um, and my my daughter invited her best friend to church this weekend, and I was a bit nervous. Um, and uh, and she just put herself out there, and then she asked her friend if you had the choice between not going to church at all or coming to our church, which would you pick? And she said, "I'd come to your church." She loved it. She's like, "I love it. I can't believe that this is this is reality." And that was this this. Eyes wide open, wide eyed possibility that they were suddenly confronted with. And I think often the challenge is that we become disenchanted with our own reality. We see the flaws in it. Mm. We see the humanity in it. We see the frailty and the brokenness and the scandal and the heartbreak. We forget actually just how powerful the story that we Mm. inhabit actually can be to somebody who is looking for, for more. Yeah, I, I agree, and and I think one of the one of the things I've noticed is you know a lot of people as I've you know with the launch of this new book, I said oh there's a lot of cynicism around about the church, isn't there? There's a lot, of, and it's totally understandable for all the reasons you've mentioned. There's been a lot of you know rubbish, especially in the evangelical side, but you know in all all parts of the church in recent years. But yeah, we should never be people who give in to the idea that this is this is it, you know. Of course, we're a broken people, we're a broken church, and we're not going to tell the story very well a lot of the time, but it is still an amazing story. And sometimes we just need to be reminded, sometimes by people outside the church. So it's interesting, you know, your daughter's friend just kind of sensed that somehow. Um, but uh, likewise, I, I think, you know, I, I talk about some of these secular prophets outside the church who are also kind of hearing the resonance of the Christian story afresh in ways that maybe our sometimes more jaded ears fail to hear it because often they are living in a culture which is so cynical and kind of gone off the rails in so many ways that suddenly they realize oh yeah that that whole story about a God who came to give himself for people and this idea of grace and forgiveness you know something that's sadly very short supply in parts of our culture it can suddenly feel like a a warm hug, a kind of a, a reality. If it were true, gosh, just imagine if that was that was really the story of reality. And I think as Christians, we, for all the the, the rubbish that obviously we need to acknowledge exists in the church, we should never forget we own this amazing story. And sometimes we we need to remind ourselves of that. Yeah. You talked about the secular prophets there, and I am intrigued at the rising interest. I sometimes talk about these the new theists. I don't know if that's even fair or accurate. Like. You look at Tom Holland and and Louise Perry and Jordan Peterson. I see a lot of Christians get very excited about them, and I am intrigued. But somebody at the front end of those conversations, and Douglas Murray in a different way, and Paul Kinsnor, and just there's so many different people exploring aspects of it and aspects of faith in quite a public way. You also mentioned C.S. Lewis. So two bits, I suppose, are like 
do we need to be careful how we engage with some of these folks who are really interested but don't I think many of them believe in quite the same way or have varying degrees of belief. So I want to be careful. I'm not trying to judge their faith, but they're articulating things differently. And I notice some younger Christians get really excited. And I'm like, I think it's really interesting, but I want a little caution. And are we lacking the Lewis's and others? It feels like we don't have as many public Christians, but we have some really interesting people, the secular prophets, exploring the edges of faith. How do we navigate that well I, and wisely? I'd love some tips from you. But <laughs> I, I think it's really important to to kind of, celebrate and enjoy when if you like there are people outside of the church who seem to be saying things that that kind of actually resonate with the christian story but let's not by any sense sort of idolize them um they are as human as anyone else and they're certainly not the saviors of christianity but i do give thanks to god that there are people from outside the church who are kind of reminding people of the value of christianity you know um i th- i think inevitably um they're all at different places as you say on their own journey and we're not the ones to judge exactly where where they land in the end on that all i do know is that people like jordan peterson and douglas murray and tom holland and and louise perry are seem to be opening the door for others to walk through They're, they're they're kind of there's enough now of these sort of interesting secular thinkers who are sort of pointing people in the direction of the christian story again that they're kind of they've enabled people to take it seriously again. Um, it's just a complete like you the kind of conversations that I'm often having now with people in that secular sphere are just so different to the ones that were you had to have with the new atheists, where it was all just poppycock and fairy tales. It, it just it's just a very different kind of conversation. And so so for me, I I welcome that. Um, and I think sometimes in a funny way, often sometimes the only voices that people will listen to sometimes are people outside the church if they if if you're kind of seen as an insider you're kind of immediately you know dismissed as uh having a, a product to sell whereas i think for folk who kind of seem to straddle both worlds that they, they've they seem to be able to attract an audience that that kind of thinks oh well maybe there's something to this because because they don't seem like your, your average sort of you know evangelical salesperson um but absolutely, we we shouldn't sort of invest all our hopes in those. I think they're just sort of, for me, bellwethers of a changing culture and tide. I think ultimately, however much you think Christianity has been good for culture and a kind of help to, I don't know, uh, encourage a sort of the moral instincts of the West. In the end, that's only good if it's a true story and if it's something that you can commit your actual life to and makes a difference. It, it, I, I don't just want a sort of, nominal christianity has been good for us kind of culture to exist i want i want people to come back to the true and living story that that actually created that 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 culture in the first place and so so for me i i hope that these are if you like just people pointing in the right direction and we won't necessarily in the end take too much people uh, you know notice of the people themselves it's wonderful i think they have great incredible space and the plausibility structures it feels like are are changing around that it's making it more plausible you get to talk to some of these people you do that in various spaces so mm. where can people find the kind of things you're having these conversations if that's exciting some of our listeners where can they find out a little bit more about where you're doing these kind of podcasts well there's obviously a big archive of shows that i i uh, from the unbelievable show where i spoke to a number of these sorts of folk um over a number of years especially in recent years uh, if you go and check out unbelievable but but more recently i've been having these kinds of conversations in abundance actually on a new podcast i co-host uh called reenchanting so tying in with one of the themes of our conversation 
and uh, and you can find that wherever you get podcasts. It's it's a podcast from seen and unseen. And yes, we've had Tom Holland and Louise Perry, Paul Kingsworth, and other interesting folks, sort of who have either sort of on the margins or have stepped across the line to Christian faith, and but are primarily known as these sort of cultural thinkers and so on. Um, so so that's a good place to go. Reenchanting uh, the podcast, but the book really spells out some of these conversations and my thinking around it, you know, in more detail. Um, and and on that note, there's a sort of big podcast documentary launching in October, also called The Surprising Rebirth of Belief in God. So again, if you're a keen podcast listener, go and check that out. And you'll hear kind of me weaving some of those stories together alongside this, this story of the, the rise and fall of new atheism and, and what hopefully it may all mean for culture and the church in general. Well, Justin, thank you so much for your time and for your wisdom and insights today. It's been fabulous catching up with you. Um, all of the links and all of the uh, different areas where people can touch base with you will also be available in the show notes. Um, but yes, thank you, Justin. It has been brilliant catching up. Thank you guys so much for having me. Thank you.